Thank you, Kylie. Uh, Well, we come to uh, the final in our series on the book of James uh, today. It's been uh, quite a challenging series uh, because James is so practical, so applied, uh, so hard-hitting in some of the challenges that he gives us. Uh, He's talked uh, through the book about wisdom, about anger, about uh, being tempted, about uh, how we use our wealth, about how we speak, about showing favouritism, about how we deal with conflict uh, and how we plan for the future. It's been encouraging uh, chatting to different people about uh, how they have been challenged and uh, made changes according to the things that they have heard uh, James speaking about. And speaking personally on many occasions as we've been going through and thinking about these things, there's been a number of challenges for me and things that I have felt, yeah, God has been really challenging me to change and transform in my own life. Which is exactly how it should be, isn't it? Because uh, James himself has said that we need to be people who are not just hearers only of God's word, but people who put it into practice. Uh, This book, as we have said, is all about faith in action, putting our Christian faith into action in real and concrete ways. Well, in this final section, James talks mainly about prayer. That's the main point that he makes here. Um, He has a few other things in this passage that he speaks about. So in that uh, first uh, verse that Kylie read, he he challenges again on the topic of speech in verse 12, uh, telling us that we shouldn't Uh, swear oaths so that uh, people believe that we're telling the truth but we should be as Christian people so known for the truthfulness of our speech that when we say yes people know that it means yes and it can be relied on as a yes and when we say no people know that it means no and it can be relied on as a no because we consistently do the things that we have said that we will do and there's no need to add anything else as an oath to sort of back up our truthfulness of speech. Then at the end of the passage, in uh, the last uh, verse there, uh, James is talking about, um, uh, last few verses, James is talking about taking responsibility for other Christian people. When someone wanders away from the truth, that we should love them, care for them, nurture them, and lovingly seek to bring them back. Um, that all of the things that James has spoken about in this book, it's not just about us looking out for ourselves and making sure that we do what he's telling us to do, but that we actually care for each other and help one another to do these things as well. But the middle section of the passage, and really the main point that James is is making here, is about prayer and the importance of praying. Now you might ask the question, if this is a book about faith in action, why conclude it with a big section on prayer? Uh, Sometimes people think that prayer and action are opposed to each other. So if you don't know what to do, I don't know how to act, I don't know what I should do in this situation, I'll pray. Or maybe because I've prayed, well, I've left things in God's hands, so he'll, he'll deal with it now, he'll act, and I don't need to do anything. That's not right, is it? Prayer is an activity. Uh, It is actually doing something. Prayer is about putting our faith into action. Uh, We believe in a God who is real, a God who is interested in our lives and in what goes on in our world, a God who is present, who is here with us now, a God who acts and does things. 
And so we pray. We pray asking that God would do things in our lives and in the world around us. And prayer and, uh, prayer and action must go together all the time and not be opposed to each other. Um, if we're acting without praying, then we're being self-reliant, trying to do things in our own strength apart from God. But praying without acting means that we're being passive and perhaps neglecting the real tasks that God has called us to do. God doesn't want us to be uh, inactive, but he gives us strength and gifts to do the things that he's called us to do. So faith in action means that we pray and we act, and we act and we pray. And James wants us to understand that we should be doing this in all of the circumstances of life. Uh, that's the main point, if you'd look with me at the passage uh, in verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Now you've got to admit that those two scenarios pretty much cover most of life's circumstances, don't they? Uh, trouble here could cover a whole range of difficulties that we might face. Sickness, financial stress, relationship problems, uh, issues at work, issues in our families, uh, kids having school hassles or any number of things that might befall us. Are you struggling in some way, James says? Well, here's what you should do. You should pray. But there are other times of life, of course, aren't they, when things are going well, we can feel the sun on our back, we're feeling happy about the circumstances that we're facing, we're enjoying work, family, relationships, relaxation. What should we do in those situations? James says, sing songs of praise. That is, turn again to God. Give him the thanks and praise as the giver of these good things. So whether things are good or whether they're bad, go to God in prayer and in song. Now that's pretty simple advice, isn't it? But it's a whole lot harder to do in practice. Uh, last Sunday night slash Monday morning, I was awake. I think my son had woken me up, but he was well and truly back asleep by now and I lay there. Uh, for over an hour with things just running through my mind, things that I needed to do, problems that I needed to solve, work that I was worried I wouldn't get done. And I lay there for an hour and stressed about them and tried to problem solve. And I don't know about you, but I'm not at my best between the hours of 2am and 3am. Um, and things often seem a lot more dire in those early hours of the morning than at other times of the day. And eventually, after wrestling with these things for a while, it dawned on me that I shouldn't be lying there stressing about them and trying to problem solve them. I should be turning them over to God. I'm a slow learner. This happens too consistently to me. But having done that and asking God to take those things and you know, saying to God, I know that you'll help me to solve them in the morning, I was able to get back to sleep. Now that should have been my first port of call, but often it isn't. And James says to us, pray about it. Pray about it. I think it's also true that some of us are good at praying in one area of life, but not so much in the other of these two areas that James has named. So for some of us, when life is hard, things are really difficult, that's when our prayer life really takes off. That's when we depend on God, we go to him in prayer and our prayer life really fires up. But then when life goes well, well, we can kind of do it in our own strength and we forget about God and our prayer life takes a dive. 
I don't know whether that describes you. Well, for others of us, when life is going really well, when life is fantastic, then we're full of praise to God and we, we love to talk to him, thanking him for the good gifts that he's given us. But then when life turns sour, we get stroppy with God. We blame God or we're unhappy that he's allowed these things to happen to him and we don't, to us and we don't want to talk to him. The challenge, I think, is to develop in our lives uh, a whole-of-life attitude to prayer and that's what James is encouraging us to do so that whatever the circumstances that come our way, prayer is the natural way that we respond. It's our first resort and not our last resort. Now, that may not come to us straight away. You, like me, might be a slow learner. Uh, Some of us, I think, find praying easier than others. Um, But James wants us to develop prayer as a discipline in our lives. Um, It's good to set apart focus time for prayer. Maybe you have a set time in the day, in the morning or in the evening or at some point where you you read the Bible and you, you pray deliberately at a set time. That's a wonderful thing to do. But it's also good to develop spontaneous prayer through the day so that as we face different circumstances, different situations, that it becomes a natural response to pray about those things as well. Uh, When a situation arises and we're not sure how to deal with it, we shoot up a prayer to God. When we see something that brings us joy or makes us happy, we thank God for it in the moment. It's really about integrating prayer into our day, making sure that we're speaking with God, connecting with God through all of the circumstances and not just relegating him to set times and set places. Next uh, here, James deals with prayer and healing. If we're to pray in all circumstances, then this is especially true in times of sickness. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, at one level, this is this is pretty simple. Right? James has said, I want you to pray in all of the circumstances of life. Uh, when you are having trouble, you should pray. And so what he's doing here is naming a particular situation of trouble and encourage, uh, encouraging prayer. So when you are sick, you should pray about it, he says. He seems to be talking here about quite serious sickness. The elders need to go to the person. The person is probably... Uh, confined to bed and unable to get up. And when it describes their healing, it uses the word that they're raised up, which probably means that they can get up out of bed and continue on with their life because of uh, the healing that they've received. But there's a few tricky things. I think there's at least three tricky things uh, in this passage that require some thought. Firstly, what's the role of oil here? Does healing only work um, if we use oil? And is there a particular type of oil? What's this all about? Uh, Well, no. The focus here seems to be on prayer rather than the oil. The elders are called primarily to pray. That's what they're called to do. But they anoint the person with oil while they're praying. There's lots of examples of healing in the Bible where there's no oil mentioned or used. Jesus rubs mud on a man's eye on one occasion um, to heal him. So oil isn't strictly necessary and it certainly isn't magical in any way. 
But I do think it's powerfully symbolic. So as you anoint someone with oil and pray for them, it's a special way of showing them that you are setting them apart for God's special attention, God's special care, and you're placing them in the hands of Jesus and asking that he would especially minister to them in the midst of their sickness and difficulty. I think too, God created us, didn't he, as physical beings and the physical act of touch and anointing with oil in the midst of a difficult situation is very powerful and very moving. Now this is something that um, I've done regularly for people as a way of praying for them in the midst of sickness um, or facing um, surgery or some sort of uh, challenge ahead and it's a beautiful way to pray for each other and a commitment to give people over to God in the midst of that difficulty in prayer. So let me encourage you to, to ask your leaders, the elders and leaders in, your, in the church, to do this for you. We would love to pray for you in this way. The second tricky bit in this passage is the relationship between sickness and sin. See, the two seem to be tied together here. In verse 15, uh, it speaks of healing and the forgiveness of sins. And the flow on into verse 16 concerns confessing sins to each other um, for healing to follow. So let me say a few things about the relationship between sickness and sin which we see laid out for us as we look through the Bible. Let me ask the question, is sickness a result of sin? The answer is yes and no. And I want you to hear me rightly. Listen very carefully what I'm saying, please. See, at one level the answer is yes because the sickness that we see in the world has come about in general, in general as a result of sin. That is, Adam and Eve have disobeyed God and uh, all of us continue to sin and to disobey God and the world in which we live is a broken place, a fallen place. It is not all that God wants it to be. It's not the way that God made it to be in the creation. There's pain, there's sickness, there's suffering. And this has come about as a result of human sin generally. So yes, there's a definite relationship between sickness and sin. But this is not the same thing as saying that every specific sickness is the result of a specific sin. That's bad theology and so unhelpful pastorally to say that it is when you're speaking to someone. Jesus himself shows that this is not right thinking. Jesus and his disciples encounter a man who is born blind and the disciples say to Jesus, whose fault is it that this man is born blind? Did he sin? Or did his parents sin? Which one was it, him or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. Neither. It wasn't because he'd done something wrong. It wasn't because his parents had done something wrong that it happened. You can't necessarily link this man's condition to some particular sin like that. Please, 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 please do not jump to the conclusion that because a person is sick, they must have done something wrong and sinned in some specific way. Having said that, there are some occasions in the Bible where it seems that specific sins are linked with sickness. 
uh, Paul warns the church at Corinth about the way that they have been abusing the Lord's Supper, that they have been mistreating the poor in their midst and, and, and abusing the way that they go to the Lord's table. And he says in 1 Corinthians 11.30, For this reason, many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So it's possible that there can be occasions where a specific uh, sin can lead to sickness in some cases. Maybe in some cases it's sort of a discipline by God as a way of drawing the sin to our attention. But we've got to be so, so careful here and I don't want anyone to misunderstand uh, what I'm saying here. It highlights the real need to be nuanced in our theology and our pastoral practice. Um, one possible cause of sickness is sin but it's by no means the only or even the most common. It's probably a very, very rare occurrence. And we must never ever say to someone, you are sick because you have sinned. But at times of sickness in our lives, it's a great chance to re-examine ourselves, to look at our lives and to ask the question, is there anything in my life that I need to confess to God? In this moment of brokenness, in this moment of struggle, are there things, God, that I need to give over to you and I need for you to forgive in my life, for you to cleanse, for you to heal? And it seems indeed in the instruction here in verse 16 that this is an instruction to the whole church, not just to the individual who is sick, that it should be a common part of our gathering, a common part of our practice that we do confess our sin together, being honest, being accountable with each other for the good health of our church community both spiritually and physically. Third tricky thing. Does this passage from James guarantee healing when we pray. Because the language in verse 15 seems quite strong. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And yet we know from our own experience that this is not always the case. We pray for people, we earnestly pray for them and they're not healed. Uh, four years ago, uh, one of the... Um, women at the church that I was at previously to St John's, a woman who uh, led the singing up front, um, was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer. She had three daughters, two in high school, one still in primary school. And uh, at her request during our morning uh, church service, we brought her out the front. She stood on the front steps. Uh, the church gathered around her, laid hands on her. I anointed her with oil and we prayed that she would be healed, that God would heal her of uh, that cancer. Uh, this was accompanied by ongoing and persistent prayer, particularly uh, in her life group, but by others in the prayer, uh, in, her own, uh, in the church. In her own words, we stormed the gates of heaven with our prayers, asking God for his help. Uh, a few months later, I stood one metre from that spot, and preached at her funeral. And I asked the question at the funeral, why didn't God heal her? Why didn't God answer that prayer that we prayed? Now some people would say that at this point, well Tim, it's obvious, the answer's there in verse 15. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Do you know the problem? It was your lack of faith. 
You as a church lacked faith or she lacked faith and that is why she wasn't healed. If she had have believed more, if you had have believed more, she would have been healed. Have you heard that before? I've heard that too many times um, and it is one of the most hurtful and damaging things that can be said to a person because you end up compounding a person's suffering with guilt. Here is this person suffering from some serious illness and you say to them, it's your fault. If you only believed more, you would be healed. And so you, you heap guilt on the top of their suffering. Now faith is important. There are times in Jesus' ministry when he couldn't do any miracles because the town in which he went, um, people didn't believe in him. Um, but it's pretty strong rejection of Jesus in those situations where they really sort of don't think he's anything special at all. And I think of another situation where a man comes to Jesus asking for his help. Jesus asks him whether he believes and he says, I do believe, help my unbelief. Right? So it's not pure and perfect faith uh, in that man's life and Jesus helps him. If we pray for healing or for anything else for that matter, um, we should believe that God is able to help us and that he can answer the prayer but he may choose not to answer the prayer. Very clearly you see this in the Bible. Um, The Apostle Paul, great leader in the church, a man of great faith, had some sort of ongoing sickness or disability. We don't exactly know what it was. He describes it as his thorn in the flesh and he says three times he prayed to God he asked for it to be removed and it wasn't and God's answer to him was my grace is sufficient for you for power is made perfect in weakness sometimes God may answer our faith filled prayers for healing by saying no we should pray for healing we should pray with full confidence that God is able to heal We should be expectant of God's healing. He's able to do it. But we must entrust our prayers and entrust each other to God's sovereignty and accept the answers that he gives us. Which may not always make sense to us. Uh, Six months after taking that lady's funeral, my godson was at the church youth camp and he fell over and he damaged his ankle. He was lying on the ground in a lot of pain People gathered around him and people laid hands on him, including one of the daughters of that lady who had died, and asked God to heal his ankle. And instantly it was. Now I confess that that makes little sense to me. It's one of the many things about God and his plans that I don't understand. He chose to answer one prayer with a no and the other one with a yes. It wasn't because there was a lack of faith in one and lots of faith in the other. It wasn't because God's too weak to deal with something as complicated as cancer but a twisted ankle, he can deal with that easily. That's not the reason. God designed cells and the body and we sang before that you know, he put the stars in their places. He can do this. It's because God is king and God knows stuff that I don't know. 
His plans are bigger than my puny little brain can grasp. God is God and thank God I'm not. Do I believe that God is able to heal? Absolutely. He's God. He made the whole world. He can do anything. Should we pray for healing? Yes, we should. Will God always answer our prayers by providing healing? No. Sometimes his answer might be, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. But just because we pray for healing and God might choose to say no on that occasion, don't doubt the power of God or the power of prayer. That's how James finishes this section on prayer in verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then he backs it up with the example of Elijah, who was a human being, he says, just like us, but through whose prayers God did amazing things. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is effective. God uses prayer to accomplish his purposes in the world. And so, pray. Whatever the circumstances, pray. When you are in a situation where you're in trouble, pray. When you are happy, pray. When you sit down at your desk at work or enter the building site or get up in the morning to start the day, pray. If you're sick, pray. James wants us to have prayer as part of our daily pattern of life, something we do communing, communicating with a real God who loves us and is relational and wants to know us and to speak with us through all the circumstances that we face. Can I encourage you to take advantage of the prayer that is offered in this church? We have a wonderful prayer uh, team who pray for people after each service. Uh, And if there are things that you would like to pray about, if there's things that you would like to ask for healing for or forgiveness for or just give over to God, uh, that team meets uh, in the room near the, nearest the back door and we'll pray with you in confidence about anything that you'd like to pray about. Pray in your life groups. I hope that it's a regular part of life groups meeting together, sharing our lives, committing each other to God, praying for each other as a core part of what life groups do together. But pray for each other informally as you see each other through the week, as you gather for morning tea. Take each other aside and Pray for each other if there's a situation that you're facing that you just want to share with someone else and pray about. Pray, pray and keep on praying. Prayer is powerful and it's effective. Uh, Let me pray as we close. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is real, who is present and who is interested in our lives. We thank you that you do want us to communicate with you, to have a real and living relationship and to share both the joys and the sorrows in our life and ask for your help uh, in the midst of them all. Please continue to transform us by your Holy Spirit that we would be a people of prayer, that we would be deliberate about coming to you in prayer in set times, but also that you would help us to integrate prayer into every aspect of our life along the way. We ask that. In Jesus' name, amen.